This episode of Mr. Benfica is dedicated to the memory of Fernando Shalana, uh, passed away on August the 10th of this year of 2022 um, at 63 years old. One of the gr all-time great players to ever wear the Manto Sagrado, to ever wear a Benfica jersey, and just one of the all-time good people in the history of the club. He will be sorely missed. Fernando, this one's for you. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to another episode of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinho, and I'm back with you again. This is episode 141, and we are on to the group stage. That's the main, you know, meat and potatoes of this episode is Benfica are through to the group stage of the UEFA Champions League 2022-2023. And I'm going to be honest off the bat, I can't, I have to be, you know, fully transparent and I have to admit that, well, this was the best draw we could have possibly got. I mean, everything worked out perfectly in the lead-up to this. That doesn't take away from the accomplishment. That doesn't take away from the brand of football that our lads are playing, that our boys are playing on the pitch right now. And it doesn't take away from the work that Roger Schmidt and his staff are doing. You heard on the top there, though, this episode is dedicated to Fernando Shalana, one of the all-time greats that have ever worn this kit right here. Okay, you guys see it right here. Anyone knows Fernando Shalana, if you know Benfica. And in the words of Roger Schmidt, if you love Benf football, you love Benfica. And that is the hashtag for this show this season. So whenever you, you tweet at me, whenever you talk about this show, make sure to add the hashtag. If you love football, you love Benfica. And I can even add, if you love football, you love Shalana. Um, I know personally, I obviously was not watching uh, live when when he was playing. Not many people were. There were not many live football matches on television in those days. You know, talk to my father about this. And I mean, my father was already here in the United States at the time that really Shalana broke through. But even people in Portugal, they weren't watching these matches on television. They were either going to the stadium, they were listening on the radio. Or they will wait until Sunday night for Domingo Desportivo on RTP, and they were watching, you know, the one, two, three-minute highlight reels that that RTP would put together. And sadly, sadly, RTP taped over, recorded over a lot of those archives, not thinking there'd be any value to it back in the early '80s, especially Shalana at his peak, late '70s, early '80s. You know, early in his career, right up to his, you know, his injury. I mean, I think his the the, the top of his career kind of peaked out probably at Euro 84. And I remember for, for this show, I also, if you remember, if you go back to uh, COVID and when we had no matches to talk about, you'll remember I went back and watched old matches. And you'll remember I watched both um, and covered the entire season of 82, 83, which was a magical season for Benfica, getting to the UEFA Cup final, winning the league, Winning the cup, it was a, a double, you know, a very, very uh, impressive double, winning the cup at the Antes over Porto. And um, I just remember being so impressed with Shalana, especially in that final with Anderlecht, that second leg. I mean, he was just phenomenal. And then still in the in the uh, 
pandemic when there were no matches. I also watched Euro 84. And I think that was where Shalana was introduced to the rest of Europe. Um, he wasn't at his best. He wasn't as good as he was in 82, 83. But in that semifinal with France, he came, he showed, he showed up in that one. And that was a lasting memory for many of Fernando Shalana. He's gone too soon, 63 years old. We are going to miss him. This episode, of course, is dedicated to his memory. He passed away August 10th, as you heard at the top of the episode. But talking about this season now and talking about Benfica's first team, we're going to keep it on the first team for the time being. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. But, um, yeah, they're into the UEFA Champions League group stage. And, again, um, I think everything played out perfectly once Fenerbahce were eliminated. Fenerbahce now are on a different level. Uh, they've caught fire. They've scored, out, I think, 14 goals in their first, 13 match, in the first three matches Excuse me, uh, in Turkish football. And I did not want to see JJ in a in a knockout stage. I, I just didn't want to see it. Um, he's a master of the mind games. I'm not saying it would get to our club. I'm not saying it would get to our manager. Certainly, I don't think it would get to our manager. But, you know, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see former managers in knockout stages or knockout playoffs of any competition. So when that happened, I think everything else kind of fell into place. We played Michelin. We we took care of business with Michelin. Um, I know in the last episode, I think I had only talked about the first leg, the second leg. You know, Benfica saw out the results. What I'm really happy, and this holds true in the uh, Dinamo Kiev match as well, which is from what I understand how we're supposed to be pronouncing the name of the city. It's Kiev. I've pronounced it Kiev my whole life, but I believe that that's wrong. At least that's what the English media, the English language experts in the media are saying. Ever since you know the the war broke out in Ukraine, it's been Kiev. It's been pronounced that way more and more. So I'm a, I'm I'm going with that pronunciation, as strange as it sounds to my ears, because it's not what I'm used to hearing. But it is Dinamo Kiev, and um, Benfica saw out this result as well. So what's good was I was worried about a team that was going to play a high line, that was going to press, a team that was going to do all these other great things. Um, very offense-minded team. That's all good. I just always get nervous about, you know, being left exposed or overdoing it, you know, going forward, taking too many risks when it's not necessarily necessary, you know, it's not necessary or not necessarily what the match is calling for. Sometimes teams that play this way go, uh, go down that rabbit hole. But that's not what's happening with this team. And I was pleased, even though it's not as attractive um, with the, the fixture congestion we're dealing with right now, I'm happy to see them, you know, kind of uh, kind of just see out these matches in, in second halves, get the goals early, make it comfortable. I love that this is how this has played out through this first phase of the season. And I do think with qualification here, that kind of finishes the first phase of the season, as I call it. Uh, the first objective has been met, the biggest objective, financially speaking, which is important as much as we as fans don't want to talk about it or don't care about it. It is important for the health of the club um, going into the, the Champions League and getting you know into the group stage and getting those three home matches, getting your share of that TV money. And having the opportunity to advance to the round of 16, which is going to be difficult this year, let's be honest. But I do have a good feeling. I think for the, you know, by and large, Benfica Nation is on the right page here. A lot of you are saying the same things. A lot of you are saying good things. A lot of you are saying more or less what I'm saying. So I'm agreeing with you. Um, this is a group that we can definitely get out of. Now, why don't I put this up on the screen 
uh, for you all to see here. We uh, we have the whole thing working tonight, and um, I will put it up on the screen here. Uh, the group stage, okay. Um, it should be coming up. There it is. There's the group stage. Okay, you see my mouse. We are in. It's very small, so I'll have to read it to you. But we are in group uh, H all the way over here. So this is all we're worried about on this show. Um, Paris Saint-Germain. Okay, this was not one of the teams in part one you wanted to be faced with. However, I think this uh, could set up exactly as the group set up last year. Paris Saint-Germain may take all 18 points or take 16 out of 18 um, if we can steal a point in one of the two matches with them, I think it's going to go a long way. Juventus, the former, you know, nine time in a row champion of Italy last year, finished fourth. So, uh, two years in a row finishing fourth now, excuse me. Uh, they are in our group. Okay. This is right now. Unfortunately, we're not playing them right now. Cause if we were, I would fancy us. I would, I would favor us against them right now. We're going to play them, you know, not quite right now. So things can change quickly in this sport. As you know, form comes, form goes. And really, I think uh, the way the group sets up, if I – and I'm not taking Maccabi Haifa uh, lightly. That's the last team in our group, Maccabi Haifa, the Israeli champions. I actually watched a little bit of them uh, yesterday against Red Star Belgrade because it happened to be on. And – there's a lot of fight in that team, and when we go to Tel Aviv to face them, because I believe all the Israeli teams play their international matches in Tel Aviv, when we go there, it's going to be a very, very raucous environment, a very, very uh, partial, a very, you know, home-strong environment in Israel. So that could be a tricky fixture on the road especially. But really, the way... I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think this really sets up for PSG to take their points and to take points from everybody. Um, I expect us and Juve to both get maximum points with Maccabi Haifa, and it's going to come down again, like last year, to the home and away with the team from Pot 2. Last year, it was it was Barcelona. This year, it is Juventus. Um, I was getting nervous because it started to look like we might draw Bayern and, and Barcelona again this year, but then I realized we can't be on that side of the – we can't be in the red groups because Porto is there and we are being kept separate from them. So that meant that we wouldn't fall into that group again. But this group I think is achievable, uh, attainable, excuse me. I think I think progression to the round of 16 is a realistic goal. We may not make it. Um, we don't know what Juventus might look like in a month's time, in two months' time. Um, and this is all going to be played very, very quickly. Again, fixture congestion is going to be a key. We are one injury away as, you know, going one match without uh, David Nedge, without David Nedge, shows that we are one injury away from being more or less like we were last year. Okay, not much better than last year. If we lose him or we lose Enzo Fernandez. For any amount of time, I'm very nervous. Um, the signing coming in uh, this week, okay, from from Feyenoord, Frederick, uh, pronouncing his last name is going to be difficult until I get used to it. Uh, Auschness, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, I actually took some time today uh, during my lunch break to rewatch some of the UEFA Europa Conference League final from last season when he's playing for Feyenoord against Roma. 
and he played as a true center mid in a 4-3-3 in that game, or it was kind of a hybrid 4-3-3, but he was playing very much the role Enzo plays with us um, in a little bit different setup, but he's he's got some pace to him it looks like he's quick to close down spaces i like that uh he he's a good passer of the ball um i think his arrival signals you know the door opening for the departure of ulian weigel i've been talking about this now going back to last season and again no i don't know that there's too many fan, bigger fans of ulian weigel than me but i can see that this is not the environment that, and this is not the system that William Weigel is going to succeed in. And I really respect the very professional nature of which he's going about this. Okay. He's keeping quiet. He's for the most part, his agents doing a little talking. We are hearing rumors, but for the most part, he's, he's doing his job. When he goes in, he goes in and he does his job. Um, he's going to training. He is a top notch professional. We see other players when uh, their future is in doubt in other teams, especially uh, and, and with our players in the past, when the future is in doubt, the just look at Cristiano Ronaldo right now. Okay, to 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 use the most obvious, his future is in doubt. He doesn't know what to do. Um, his his people around him misadvised them. That's my belief is that they advised him poorly. They thought they were going to have offers. The offers didn't come. They're in a situation they don't know if they're going or leaving, and it's affecting the play on the pitch. It happens to everybody whose future, almost everybody whose future is in question. Okay. We've seen it with our rivals as well, okay? We've seen it with, you know, the Luis Diaz's of the world. Uh, we've seen it with Pedro Pojo or with uh, Sarabia last season. You know, they played well, but as the future, you know, as you get close to the end and as the future becomes more in doubt, there is usually a drop in the level of play. And, uh, well... I think that Ulian's done a really good job to not drop off that much. Okay, he's not gonna look great in this system. He's not a player that's gonna press high, that's gonna run all over the pitch like Enzo does. He's not a player that's you know reading the game to the extent that Florentino is and getting to the you know cutting off the passes, being a step ahead all the time. You know, everyone talks about needing pace and hoping that we have pace. Florentino doesn't have pace, but what he has is anticipation. And what he has is the ability to read the game very well. And he's always a step and a half ahead. And that makes up for it, at least up to this point against the teams we've played. It's not been exploited. Ulian's not quite as quick on the anticipation. Okay. Ulian is very good with the ball at his feet at setting up play of playing safe plays, which you need guys that take good care of the ball and play it, okay? But in our system that we are playing this year, in that Roger Schmidt plays, it's not something he's going to thrive in. He may be serviceable, but he's not going to thrive. And he's such a good professional. But if there is, you know, a loan to buy offer for him, I, I do see the club taking it at this point. We won't recover everything we get with him, but again, um, you can't look at transfers in a vacuum like that. Okay. Um, we will get money. Unfortunately, I think Enzo is going to be here a very short time. I think he's going to play one season. And if he plays the way he has played so far, which he might not, I mean, he's in mid season form at the beginning of the, of the season, which 
which generates plenty of worries for me going forward uh, for the for the future, you know, in a couple months time. But if everything goes well, it's going to be hard to keep that player. But he's going to more than make up whatever we lose in a transfer for Ulian Weigel. And who knows, maybe a loan is the right play. And maybe, you know, if the sale of Enzo does happen in a year's time, we can take a look at it and, and maybe even contemplate bringing Ulian back the way we've brought other players back in the past. Uh but again, I don't like to talk about transfers. I don't like to speculate. I mean, we've had this Ricardo Orta soap opera, telenovela going on for too long. Now, this is Cavani 2.0. Um, and it's not a Cavani level player, with all due respect to Ricardo Orta, who's a player I'm a big fan of. And I think he's going to fit like a glove in this team if we can ever get him, get him in. If the deal can ever be done, I think that uh, he's going to fit like a glove in this team. However, that price just keeps ballooning and, you know, um, at some point, Benfica is going to have to draw a line in the sand. And what I, I'm hopeful will happen is the longer this goes without the deal being done, I think the closer we get to the deadline, the more that price might come down if Benfica hold firm because neither Braga nor Malaga want to be out of, out of money here. They obviously want this player to be sold. It's who gets what that is holding it up. And I think the prospects of getting nothing for both of them, I think, is something neither one really uh, wants. So I think the closer we get to the deadline, perhaps that perhaps we'll get a deal done in the in the final hours, and maybe that'll be the best deal for Benfica at that point. And this guy can come in here and you know again insert right in, um, and then we have two for that for that position. You know him and him and Joel Mario together can can handle that, you know, it's not really a number 10, but it's kind of a number 10 in behind the forwards, you know, in front of the, in front of, in front of Tino and in front of Enzo. But again, I think this group, like I said, is doable. Um, qualification to the next round is very much accessible. In my opinion, it's we have a 50, 50 chance or better to advance in this competition uh we're gonna have two tough matches with juventus we've had battles with them before uh it'll be fun in my house because uh well that's you know my wife's family's club not so much her club but her family's club so we'll uh, that'll be fun uh going forward uh waiting for those two matches it was a lot of fun in what was that 2014 when we knocked them out in the semifinals of the UEFA uh, Europa League, you know, when Antonio Conte was their manager. So that was a lot of fun. And um, hopefully this year, you know, Benfica will get the better of them. I expect Benfica to do well at home. If we can get a draw on the road, we could be in very, very good shape. Same way we did with Barcelona last year. And, and again, I tweeted this out today after the draw. I retweeted. Someone else said it, but I thought it as well at the same time. The good thing about drawing... PSG is not just that I think they're going to they have a good chance to take maximum points which makes it a mini competition between us and Juventus for all intents and purposes but we get an extra home game when we play PSG let's call it what it is I mean they're going to do what they can to 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 try to stop that or try to slow it but everybody knows when Benfica play in Paris, Benfica are at home in Paris. Paris is our second home, okay? Um, no question about it. We have a long history of going to, to French cities. 
and just filling their stadium, invading their stadium. So who knows? Maybe we can steal a point there. I know they're a, you know, they're a modern day, um, you know, they're not the Galacticos of, of Real Madrid of the late 90s, but they're as close as it gets today in terms of personas, personalities of star power. PSG has it, Lionel Messi, you know, Kylian Mbappe, Neymar, okay. Very, 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 very good players, obviously. Um, I wouldn't put any money down for, for PSG to win the, the Champions League, not at all. But uh, in a group stage, they're going to be very tough to, to get by. But everyone's going to have that same difficulty. So you've seen the groups, okay. Uh, again, these two matches with with Dinamo Kiev were, you know, very professional performances. Um, again, the same guys are really playing at an elevated level right now. David Nersh, uh, Enzo Fernandez, Rafa Silva, um, Florentino playing very well. Gonzalo Ramos is getting his goals. Okay. I hope he does not sell. I think I hate, I hate the transfer window. Can I be honest about something right now? Once the season starts, I don't want to see any more transfers. I, I know people say we need more guys. We need this, this, but I really wish, I wish that the window closed on the first day of the season, wherever it is. I wish UEFA had a little bit more uniform starting for leagues so that everyone would start, you know, in the, you can't have everyone, but that, you know, leagues one ranked one through 10 in Europe start on the same weekend. And that the transfer window closes that Saturday, that Friday night, that night before. Okay, um, it's just derailing when you can when you lose a key guy at the end of a transfer, at the end of an August transfer window. It's even worse than when you lose them in January. Um, and again, it's an unneeded distraction. It gets in the way of the manager being able to do his job to prepare his team. It goes both ways. I get it. You can bring somebody in too at the eleventh hour and completely change your team. But more often than not, for clubs like ours, it's guys that leave at the 11th hour that completely destabilize us. And we've seen it before. We, you know, it took a long time to, to fix to fix the back line when Ruben Diaz left. And, you know, it's just, I know we're in the Champions League, so I don't want to see Gonzalo Ramos go anywhere right now. Um, I think he's just starting to find his stride. Uh, he's finally playing for a manager that knows how to use him. And I think the sky is the limit for this kid. Enrique uh, Araujo, too. Uh, they're very different strikers, but I like that both of them are in the first team right now. And I think both of them are going to score their share of goals this season, especially in this setup. So I don't want to see him go. Uh, he's been so pivotal in us getting through these rounds easily. Plus, his goal against... Uh, Casapia. Can we talk about this for one moment? The Casapia match. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. It's been a week. I'm not gonna go. It's been over a week actually. It's been almost two weeks. I'm not gonna go back and revisit that match. Or, but how about that? You know, twenty thousand in Ladia for that match. I know a lot of the traditionalists hated it. Didn't get why this Lisbon derby was played. You know, whatever the distance was, 125 or 150 kilometers away in Ladia. Of course, on the flip side, I'm excited because it's in, you know, it's fairly close to my neck of the woods. Uh, um, members of mine that happen to be Benfica's got to go. And uh, not that they can't go to the Stade de Luz or can't, you know, if the match was played in the, I think it's called the Pinumanique, the stadium that, that Casapia is renovating. 
very few fans are going to get a chance to go. Okay. And I heard, you know, traditionalists, which I really am one at, at my core, but I get it. I get why things don't happen this way anymore. You know, really hammer home about, you know, all of the stadiums they could have played in in, in the city in Lisbon. They could have played in Gestilo at Bolinis. They could have played. Uh, they couldn't play at the Jamur because of the pitch, because of an Iron Maiden concert. Uh, really, I haven't heard the term Iron Maiden in years. I think back to Beavis and Butthead when I think of Iron Maiden. I think they had a poster or something of them. But, uh, yeah, the, you know, you're going back to 80s, 80s headbanging rock. But um, Iron Maiden's concert at the Jamur destroyed the pitch. Which is a good thing because I think only certain sections of the Jamur are open for 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 league matches, um, and the you know Pinumanik or the Pinumanik is not up to the the standards of the the Liga at this point in time, which is a problem in the Portuguese league among millions of other problems with Portuguese football, with the calendar, with the the late you know scheduling of matches, with the late kickoff times, with the early kickoff times, with you know, the just all of the oddities that make up Portuguese league football. Um, another thing is how often these teams get promoted and they don't have the minimum standards. Listen, the second division is part of the Liga Portugal, or it's the part of the Liga de Clubes, okay? The league, the football league, the Portuguese equivalent to what England calls the football league, okay? In Portugal, it's the top two levels. Why? Can't they have the same standards? I know Casapia did not spend much time in the second division. They came up and they and they they were promoted uh, two years later. I think um, this team was playing in the distrital in the in the district local leagues just three or four seasons ago when when Ruben Amorim was their assistant manager was their assistant coach assisting Cesar Peixot and he was suspended for giving instructions because he wasn't licensed that wasn't that long ago that was in the Campeonato Portugal uh the current fourth division at that time it was the third division so their ascendancy was quick so I kind of get it but I think that to be in the second division you should have to meet the same requirements facility requirements as the first division only you can have a little more leeway in the second division because you're not going to bring Benfica in in the second division and, you know, have 20,000 people looking for tickets. So you can use that first season in the second division to get your complex up to par without having to make giant changes or having to go rent a stadium, you know, to to maximize your your ability to to profit for the season, which is exactly why the match was played in Ladia. That's why it wasn't in Stuval. That's why it wasn't in, you know, in Belay. It was in Ladia because they could get 20,000 in there. And you cannot fault Kazapia for doing that. Okay. Now the league, again, one of the only, this happens in Portugal more often than it should, but one of the very Portuguese uh, things to go with it is the league saying that Casapia must play Porto and Sporting at Ladia as well. We'll see if this holds up, but I remember reading this at the time and um, just kind of ridiculous to me, but it is what it is. I don't know that they're going to get any. I don't know that that, that it's going to be any less of an advantage for Casapia to play in Ladia than they would, you know, at Jamur, because I don't think their field's going to be ready for some time. 
But so they won't play it at Yamoto. I believe they'll play the other two big teams in Ladia, which is again comes back to what this league is, and it is the th big three doing whatever they want, our team included. Okay, wielding more power than they should, especially you know our rivals, the ones up north. They wield the most political power. There's no question about it. And this comes straight out of their handbook. This thing, but now. Uh, Kazapia will have to rent Lady out, the Lady, the Magellan Soa Stadium out when they go there too, so they can try to bring their fans in there and fill it. Uh, yeah, Portuguese football is one of a kind, no doubt. Um, but again, right now for Roger Schmidt, you see it there in the bottom. It's six wins in six tries, and actually, it's playing the wrong. Okay, so it's playing the wrong ticker down there, but that's all right. Um, it's six wins and six tries for for Benfica, not five and five. That was written for an episode I would have done last week. I was going to do this last week, but then one thing led to another, and I wasn't able to get this episode out. And then it got to yesterday, and I said I'll just wait for tomorrow when the draw comes out so we can talk about the draw. So right now uh, the team is flying. Um Needless to say, I know a lot of people have expressed some anxiety about the trip to Be to Bessa uh, Saturday, a place where we've kind of uh, had our, our share of issues the last couple of seasons. I, I'm pretty confident in this team, the way we're playing right now. Again, I think for as long as we stay healthy and key guys stay on the pitch, which I had a little bit of a heart attack when Gonzalo Ramos and Rafa Silva collided heads yesterday. Um, Tuesday, excuse me. In a play that wasn't necessary, we're winning. We're winning three nil. There's no. I know why they're playing that way, and I get it. They're keeping it going. They're keeping the momentum going. They're trying to play at a high tempo. They're trying to keep the fans, you know, give the fans their money's worth. But I, I, I was envisioning us losing two players in one in one play. Two players colliding heads, both going out. You know, luckily Gonzalo came out, but I think he, he said he's already posted to social media that he's fine. Rafa stayed in the match, so it, it turned out to not be so bad. But um, I was nervous about that, just to, to say the least. I was nervous about that. Um, this team is really one or two key injuries away from you know being back to square one. I I am afraid of that. I mean, everybody's playing well. Everyone's playing better. Um. We got another, like I said, another guy coming in today, and hopefully we get Ricardo Orta before this window closes, or someone else to to fill in because we know João Mario, and I'm been defending this guy, and he's been playing well, but we know he doesn't have the stamina to go every third day for the entire season, and there's going to be a lot of matches squeezed in in a short period of time because, as you know, come November there's a World Cup break. And the league stops until the new year. So we're going to get a lot of matches crammed in here, both Champions League and uh, League and Tasa. Tasa the Liga will be played during the World Cup, so I'm not worried about that at all. We'll talk about that when we get there. But I'm, I'm nervous that the wrong injury could derail everything for us. That's a little bit of pessimism right now, but the team's playing great. I'm excited about this team. Um I like everything Roger Schmidt is saying. I like that he's not playing into the stupidity and the mind games of the Portuguese media, CMTV especially. 
asking him questions about rivals and asking him about transfers. And then before this, I think it was before this Dinamo Kiev match, where actually, no, it was before the Kazapia match, uh, the media sinking to a new low again. We knew this this drama's going on with about Ricardo Orta. They got João Mario at the podium or at, you know at the table for the press conference and right away, you know, don't you think your job is in question with Ricardo Orta coming in? Uh, João Mario handles it because he's a professional. Unlike the journalist that asked that question, I would have turned it around and just said, "How, you know, don't you feel threatened that Unknown internet writers are better at this than you are. Aren't you concerned that Benfica Independence gets more readers than your stupid newspaper, or gets more listens than your 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 podcasts or your television channel? Aren't you worried? I would have turned it right on him because the Portuguese media is just absolute disgraceful by and large. Not everybody in it, but these people, these usually guys get to these these press conferences and just ask these stupidest questions. And I know they had teachers in school who told them there was no such thing as a stupid question, but I'm here to say that is a lie because they prove it every time they ask stupid questions at these, these uh, press conferences. On the flip side of the press conference, I did want to say one thing about uh, Dino Keefe's manager, uh, Mikrea uh, Luchescu, I think is, is how you pronounce his name. I was looking into him uh, yesterday, and, and, you know, he was so graceful in defeat. And, um, yeah, it's Mikrea Luchescu speaking Portuguese, which always uh, such a – I find that such a sign of respect. And, again, there's players in our team that have been here for years and can't do that. Um, but yeah, you, if you're any part of human at all, it, it tears at you when you hear him talking, he's asked again, Portuguese media, stupid questions. How do you think you match up to, to Shakhtar Donetsk this year? Blah, 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 blah. Right. And Luchescu just looks at them in very good Portuguese. And just says, honestly, we are living a different reality than that. I'm not worried. He says, Dinamo Kiev and Shakhtar Donetsk have two completely different realities. He goes, we're about to go home back to Ukraine for the first time in two months. Our players don't know necessarily the status of their families. They don't know the status of their loved ones. We're about to go back to Ukraine, and we're going to play in the Ukrainian league. We're going to play this weekend. I think he said on the 28th is the first match. He goes, our goal for this season is to play football and to stay alive. And I'm just, I get chills just repeating what he said. And these journalists, these so-called journalists... Don't have any foresight. Don't even know when they're asking stupid questions. It's all about getting headlines. It's all about it's just uh, utter stupidity from many of the publications produced in Portugal. And that's why there's so many, so much independent fan-based media covering the teams in this league, not just us. 
not just Benfica in the, you know, the plethora of, of shows and websites and and blogs and podcasts and YouTube channels dedicated to this club by fans of this club. It's the Sporting 160s. It's the Sporting 160 ENs. It's a Copa do Cavani. You know, even the Porto fan. The best coverage is coming from fans when it comes to Portugal. And then you have some good stuff. You got you also got the Lateral Skirt guys. They do a great job. You know, you've got you've got good people here and there, but as a whole, they're just there's just people still in that media community, that Portuguese sports media community, that are a complete embarrassment to Portugal, a complete embarrassment to football. My goodness, just keep asking stupid questions, trying to start problems, trying to start controversy with about referees, asking a German manager about referees like he's heard of any of these guys. Making a big deal about the referee we had in this match with Dinamo Kiev because he was German and they had a falling out five years ago. Just stu- It's things that you don't see from the top leagues. You don't watch a post-match presser in the Premier League and get stupid questions like this. You don't see it in the Bundesliga. You don't see it in the football championship, which is also a top league, okay? Make no mistake about it. That's a top league. So we got a long way to go in Portugal to uh, get to that level, obviously. Mm. But having a, a Roger Schmidt in this league, it really uh, helps to to just diffuse those voices and just he he makes them look stupid by just looking at it like, are you serious? You know. And again, he was posed with the question: Did did Gonzalo Ramos play his last match for for Benfica? The manager is not the player's agent. The manager is not the president of the club. He's focused on the day-to-day work. And you're asking him about transfers because you're trying to destabilize this locker room that is very united right now. This coaching staff that's very united right now. And the Sharks are always out. And, and you know, I I don't want to say this, but I can't help but to think that our rivals are behind these these clowns in the media that always seem to be looking for a headline to destabilize us while leaving them alone. All right, so we got Boa Vista this week. Um, I'm going to be traveling this weekend, so this match uh, I won't see live on Saturday. I'll see it later Saturday afternoon. I'm going to Cincinnati, Ohio this weekend. I'm going to catch the Ohio Derby in Major League Soccer. I'm going to be watching FC Cincinnati versus Columbus Crew. Um, but I will be watching Benfica when I get to my hotel room on Saturday afternoon before before I go to the stadium, and I will catch up on it. Um, if internet Wi-Fi is good at these hotels that I'm staying at, because um, I got about six, seven hours of driving each day this weekend, starting tomorrow, starting Friday. Um, if I have stable enough, good enough internet, then I'll try to put an episode out this weekend as well. Um, if not, maybe I'll do an old fashioned, just podcast only with no, with no video. Uh, moving ahead now, uh, 
the women's football team, I wanted to talk about them a little bit. Big, big game on Friday. They're playing in the Super Cup final. So I say final because this year the Portuguese Federation decided the women's Super Cup was going to be played in a Final Four format. And normally I'm against these kinds of things, but this was good, and here's why. Because the Federation has a stupid format for the league where you play a qualifying phase and then a championship phase in the league, the meaningful matches are not until after the new year typically in the you know in the league of BPI. And Befica have Champions League, you know, qualifying. They just won two big matches last week, the ladies did, winning against uh, opposition from, I think, from Cyprus. They were from Kosovo. They beat the Kosovo champions 9-0. Nothing to cover in that match. And then getting a big 2-1 victory over Dutch champions FC 20. Second year in a row, Befica's ladies eliminate 20 in the preliminary stage, this time in the... The early, the first round last year, we beat them in the playoff round. I think they call it round two in uh, the UEFA Women's Champions League. So Benfica's ladies uh, are awaiting the drawing on September the 1st. That's when they will find out their next opponent. And they are seeded for this draw, which is excellent. This is a huge improvement from last season. Benfica needed like three results to other results to go their way to get into the top eight and be seeded. But they did it. Those results did go their way. I'm going to tell you right now who is in what, uh, who is in what pot right now for this draw. Pulling it up right now as I speak, and I don't want to forget about the ladies because uh, again, um, this is the show to get your coverage of the Benfica women's team. Okay, um, so I, I have to keep you all up to speed to that. Going back real quickly to the Super Cup, okay? So this year it was a Final Four, and I was beginning to say I agree with it because Benfica especially, but Benfica Sporting, Braga, and Famalicão are the four teams. They need competitive football. When they get into the qualifying stages or the qualifying phase of the Liga BPI, they're going to play a lot of easy games. They're going to play a lot of easy matches. They need competitive football. That's why I think this is a good decision by the league or by the federation to make this a four-team knockout tournament. Befica beat Braga 5-0 to advance to the final. They're going to play Friday in Ladia against Sporting, against the Leoge. And if you complain about ticket prices and you are a Benfiquista, you have no excuse on Friday. The match kicks off at like 8.30 p.m. local time in Ladia or in all of Portugal. Uh, it's on Canal Lunes. I'm looking forward to watching it when I get to my hotel tomorrow night. Um, I'm going to have to keep the, I'm going to have to keep the sofa score and the Twitter shut off until I get to my first, uh, my first hotel on this trip and, uh, not get spoiled so I can watch it when I get there. Um, Canal Lones is going to re-air it at 1.30 a.m. Portuguese time, which is 8.30 p.m. my time. And that's perfect. I'll be in my hotel by then and I'll be watching it. Uh, it's a big final. But if you complain about ticket price, you have no complaints here. One euro is the cost to get into this Women's Super Cup final. I'm telling you, if I lived in Portugal, I, I would be at all these. I would be at almost, I would probably go to most of, if not all, the women's matches. Um, the only expenses is the drive to the, to the match. So, Here's here's what the draw is going to look like, okay? But do stay tuned, okay, um, 
for this Super Cup final, Befica versus Sporting, Agiers versus Leoish at the Magalhães Pessoa in Leiria. Uh, last year, the 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 Leoish got the best of us at the in this game. Befica need to take that crown back. Okay, so we're going to round two. Here are the seeded teams in the champions path. So just like in the men, there's a champions path and a league path, which works great for Benfica. Because if there wasn't, we would be looking at facing Bayern Munich or PSG, Arsenal, Real Madrid, you know, very strong second place teams in other leagues. No, we're only facing champions. So we are in pot one. We are seated alongside Slavia Prague of the Czech Republic or Chechia, as many people call it now, or as they prefer to be called now. Uh, Rosengrad of, of Sweden, Juventus of Italy, St. Polten of Austria, Zurich of Switzerland, and then Velaznia of, of Albania. They're in there too with a slightly better coefficient than us. And then Benfica, the last team in the seeded pot, with a European coefficient of 13.6. Um, our possible opponents now. So here's here's who we will draw one of these eight teams. SFK 2000 of Bosnia-Herzegovina, the champions of Bosnia-Herzegovina. We could play Karakiv of Ukraine. We could play H. Bikoga of Denmark, Valor of Iceland, Braun of Norway, Rangers. They're in there this year. Rangers, the famous club of Scotland, making, I believe, their debut in this competition, or Coops of Finland. One of those eight teams will be Benfica's opponent in this final playoff round. Round two is what it's officially called. Okay, Benfica, they will play... The first leg on either the 20th or 21st of September with the second leg a week later. Um, I'm not sure if the seeded, if pot one will play the first leg at home or the first leg away, or if that's going to be part of the draw. Um, doesn't say here on the competition's Wikipedia page. That's where the women stand right now. Again, big game Friday. I will cover that. I will be back in the next episode. In episode 142, I'm going to cover the men's match versus Boavista and the women's match versus Sporting. Okay. Lastly, I have to talk about this today. Okay. Big, big shout out to the champions, to the world champions. I know it's not an official FIFA uh, trophy, but it's a UEFA slash CONCACAF joint official trophy. Our juniors, our U, basically, we're calling them U-20s. We don't really have a U-20 team. It's a hybrid of different teams. It's really a mix of U-19s, B-team, and U-23s put together. They beat Peñarol, the champions of South America, U which is a U-20 team. They beat them last Saturday at the Centenario Stadium in Montevideo in front of what they're calling 40,000 People, it looked packed to me. It looked like there were more in that stadium than that. Um, just absolute fantastic event. Huge moment for these kids. Only five, only five carryovers from the UEFA Youth League final last season. Um, I thought that Benfica could have sent a stronger team. Uh, I thought they should have made the strongest team possible. They they had a different. Uh, different outlook they decided to give different players the opportunity to have this experience 
And I was impressed with, with their fortitude. I mean, it's not easy. These boys are well prepared to go into the Dragon, let me tell you, uh, mentally, because they went into that cauldron, that Centenario, where almost every single person in that stadium was against them. And Comneball went all out for this. Comneball had every intention and every expectation that Peñarol were going to win this match. They're a year older. They were using first-team players. They used everybody that was eligible. They used every 20-year-old and under that was eligible, made the best possible team. And they canceled all of their matches the last 10 days and had a training camp to get ready for this match. Benfica still saw it out. Benfica played better football. They did They did struggle towards the end as the Uruguayan side started to get their legs and started the crowd really started to carry them a bit. But in, in a... Football playing since I think Benfica were second to none on the you know they, they were they were untouchable on the pitch that day didn't get the finishing we'd like again would have been nice to have another guy or two in there to make the difference uh, Diego Moreto was in there a lot of eyes on him however he did his entire preseason with the first team he's just integrating into the B team right now. And I think it's going to take him some time to get back into the the syncrasies, you know, the idiosyncrasies of the B team and, and to get back into the movements they're looking for. Um, but I thought that this performance was, was very mature. It was a very mature performance from Befica. You know, there were some dirty hits from Pinarol. Okay, they were losing their composure. We were keeping ours. And the B team has struggled in the in the second division so far this season. There's no secret about that. Luis Castro's first season, you know, being promoted to the B team. But he took, and I think it's right that he managed this match because he was the manager in the UEFA Youth League. And he took the U19s through that, you know, to the last two finals. And this time got it done. Okay. And I thought he should be the manager for this. And I have a, this inkling. Deep down that he's he's going to be in the pipeline to be first team manager when Roger Schmidt moves on. Hopefully not for a couple. Hopefully not for three, four, five seasons. But I think that they're going to start to groom him to take over. And Befica's going to... And I said this. Before we put the brakes on everything and brought in JJ, Befica was in a position, and I said this at the time, to need managers that are going to integrate youth. We have this academy. We have to integrate a player or two every season. We can't always have a guy, you know, making the difference, but they have to be, you know, around the team. They have to be on the periphery at least. Um, they can't be completely disregarded like they have been by other managers. One in particular who, you know, for – it's just not his thing, not his problem. But that's why he was not a good fit to come back here a second time. But the the president at the time, the ex-president, the former president, put all his chips in that in that Ferrari as as uh, he thought he was getting, and it didn't go well. So now we're back to square one. But I think that Luis Castro is someone that Rui Costa, that uh, Rui Pedro Braz, see as a future first team manager. Um, and I think they want to see that natural evolution and that revolving door coming from within whenever possible. You know, the reason we went to get Roger Schmidt was because we were in crisis mode. He writes this ship, okay, and things start to work. 
and honestly, the club system should just work itself. Uh, I've said this before, and I'm going to continue to say it. There's no reason this club cannot be Portugal's Bayern Munich. We have everything in place to do it. The only thing left is for us to get the political power. It's for us to stop allowing the other clubs to disrespect us. Stop allowing referees to disrespect us. Demand the respect. Command the respect that we deserve. Because it's off the field BS that is keeping us from becoming you know, a dynasty in this league. We have more talent and we have deeper pockets than the other teams. Okay, we're producing more talent at higher volumes and at higher levels. Okay, yes, it's important to sell players as well and to to, to get into Champions League and to and get the financial success as well. That's all part of it. I I really think the direction of this club in the long term, we may you know maybe it'll never happen because we are so short sighted about a lot of things. And at the and it it's already happened. I mean, it was the panic was starting to set in in the Casapia match, where people were already starting to to get you know a lack of confidence, starting to say this player is no good. What's the manager doing? Why is this guy going in? Why is Gilberto playing again? Why is this? You know, you go through it, and they're questioning this and this and this, and how we go with player A when player B is on the bench. Our fan base can't help itself in these things, and it makes it a very hard environment to work in for the coaches. We have to let these coaches work, and I think if we do that, I do believe that this club can get to a point where the system is going to replenish itself year after year, and we won't have to go spend $60 million, $80 million, $100 million every offseason. I know some fans can't want that. They want to see every dime put back into the team. That's borderline suicidal. You can only do that for so long. And we have this, this pipeline of talent. Okay, They're not all going to be ready every year. But they should all be kept tabs on. And when they are ready, should be brought in and should be given a valid opportunity to win their spot in this team. None more obvious than, than Florentino Luis this season. Finally, finally. And I know we're only a couple weeks into the season and anything can happen, okay? I could be sitting here in May and, you know, Florentino Luis could have sat 25 of the last 30, you know, of the last 30 matches, whatever. Um, it could very well be that Enzo and Arnes... Um, Let's call him Frederick for now. Uh, end up taking that position, and they're the two that run with it, and he's relegated to the bench again. Who knows? We don't know what the few, but the fact that we didn't give up on him, and it took a manager from the outside coming in to not give up on him. If Roger Schmidt comes last year, we keep Jota. Jota on this team plays. The Jota as he is now at Celtic, plays on this team problem was we we sent him off on a loan which is fine but then you know the the terms you know we didn't have the leverage in the deal celtic brought him in on a permanent and he's gonna thrive and then he's gonna move on to the to a bigger team a bigger league and you know it is what it is i think 
he is an example of maybe the worst managed player that this club has has had in trying to move from the youth ranks into the first team. Uh, Jetson as well, you know, mismanaged. It's not just it's not just talent. Okay, sometimes the club fails players. Getting back to the U20s, because that's what I was saying. I don't know which which of these guys are we're ever, if any, we're going to see in the first team and making a difference. However, I liked what I saw from a lot of guys. Um, I talked about this last year a little bit. That midfielder, Cher Nador, for me, is a crack. That guy has a, a, a future. I mean, he's got the feet of a little of a little midfielder with the body of a big center back. And he's agile, he's quick, he's smooth, he's fluid. His passes are good. He's in the right places. He anticipates. I really, really like Sharon Nador, the Italian international, playing in our B team and playing, you know, he's only 17 years old too. The youngest player, I believe, uh, along with, no, he's he's not the youngest. Uh, Diego, Diego Moreira is the youngest. Um, but Sharon Nador... Also very, very young, and I think he's got a huge future, and that's a guy we cannot let go without working his way into our first team. It's not this season. It's not next season, but maybe in the third one after that. Um, maybe we we start to work him in. Or maybe, he, you know, because, again, he's, he's like 18 years old. So uh, we've got a lot of time with him. Let him develop. But I really like that. I like Joao Neves too. Little Joao Neves. He's a little guy. Reminds me of, of Bernardo Silva a bit. Uh, the guys on on uh, on BTV come. I forget who the player was they compared him to from yesteryear. Uh, but it was it was a good comparison. I really like that guy a lot. I like uh, you know I I, I this it's the first I'd seen of some of these guys and uh, Lacroix there in, in the back, uh, very good guy. He's got first team experience at Mets in in France, and I think he's got a future, you know, possibly with us or in, in the Portuguese league. I again, just a guy to keep your eyes on. The B team will figure this out, okay? They when and when I say the B team, a lot of them were in this U twenty game. It's a you know, it's a fairly new group of players with a new coach. Okay, they're all figuring out second the Portuguese second division together. There's going to be growing pains. There's going to be a learning curve, but I think they will right that ship. I think by midseason you'll see a much different B team, and you'll see them starting to play better football and really starting to work their way you know, up the table, and really the players starting to show themselves as true professionals. Um, I have to give a shot to to Samuel Swadish, the goalkeeper. What a save he made about 10 minutes from time, keeping Benfica in the lead. Obviously, shout to Luis Smith, the goal scorer, uh, getting to the second, you know, getting to the back post, scoring it with his knee. I love that. That is a goal scorer's goal. Any way possible, you get any part of your body you can on that ball. That's legal, of course. Obviously, hands and arms can't. But anything else that you can get on that ball to push it into the goal, he did it. He was the right place, right time, just after coming on. Um, very good performance and uh, a big moment for him, no doubt it, about it. You're right. Uh, Martin Nett didn't see a lot of time, interestingly enough. Uh, he was crucial, you know, so pivotal in the UEFA Youth League. 
but he he's on the bench in this group. Uh, he came in towards the end. And, you know, some of the other names, we're still getting to know some of these guys. So uh, this was a good opportunity to see some of these guys play. And I really like the throwback. And this is this is something special. Whoever's idea this was, this was great. But if you remember, Befica came out in this one looking like we've never really seen them before. Red tops, white shorts, white socks. That was what Befica were wearing in that stadium in 1961 in the Intercontinental Cup. I think it was the second leg against Peñarol. Um, don't quote me on which leg it was, but of course Peñarol won the, the the trophy that year. Benfica were the were the defending European champions. They would lose a year later to Santos of you know Pelé's Santos, but before that, the year before that, they took on Peñarol of Montevideo, and that was the first time you know a young Ozebu played in South America and for South American eyes to see. And a young Simoes also in that team uh, with the captain, Coluna, you know, Zegato. How, how cool was it to see Zegato? I had the opportunity to meet Zegato uh, in 2009, I want to say it was, maybe 2010. He came here to the United States. We had a big Benficistas festival in Ludlow, Massachusetts uh, that year I went to. And um, Zegato was there signing autographs and taking pictures. And somewhere I have the picture of me with Zegato, and he signed it for me. Uh, great guy. And how cool was it for him, he, you know, having been there in 61 and now being a, a ambassador to this to this match and getting to hold that Intercontinental Cup trophy. Uh, so happy to see, you know, the way the legends most of the time are treated in this club and it has to continue happening. Um, a lot of bridges need to be rebuilt within the club, and that's one great way to do it. Uh, again, going back to, you know, the loss of Shalana and, uh, life is too short to keep legends on the outside because of something that happened 20, 30 years ago. Um, I, I've been told that, uh, according to Vision Vermelha, uh, good podcast, they were, one of their, their hosts was in Poland for the game against Dean Kiev and he said, Vitor Paneda was sitting next to Rui Costa in the Tribunia in the tribuna, excuse me, um, for that match, which is good to see because they were on opposite sides in the last election. And it's very, very good to see the, these two big personalities, big figureheads in the club's history, uh, former teammates, you know, come back together and uh, put Befica first. So very, very proud of these kids, very proud of the women's team and very happy with what I'm seeing so far from the first team. Um you can follow me on Twitter, okay, if you haven't yet. Uh, if you're watching, it's on your screen there. It's at Mike Agustinho, at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-L. It's my personal uh, Twitter. Go ahead and give it a follow if you haven't yet. If you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button. Uh, hit the subscribe button so you get uh, alerted whenever we go live here on the PTV Media Network. Um Okay, so make sure you get that. And also follow the show on, on social media as well. On Twitter, it's at Benfica Mister. And on Instagram, it's at Mr. Benfica. Or on uh, Facebook, just put www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. That'll bring you right to the show's page. Uh, give it a follow. I'm also on LinkedIn. Now, if you're on LinkedIn, look me up. Michael Agustinu. All right. 
Uh, I'm posting episodes there as well. Just trying to get more traction, okay? My new uh, video is up also here on the channel, okay, of my recent travel to Philadelphia. Give that a, a shout if you can. Uh, I'll try to put the, a link in the show notes as well for you. I would love to. I would love if you give that a look and hit that like button for me and just share it and help me get that out. Uh, that that video took me three weeks to edit. I mean, it took me a lot of time to put that together. So um, I really appreciate anyone that that gives it a look. Uh, if you have any questions, concerns, hit me up at uh, Benfica Mister on Twitter. Okay, hit me a DM with a DM, and I'll try to answer you as soon as I can. Uh, sometimes some of you hit me on my personal one that at Michael Christine you, and I don't see it for a couple a couple days, sometimes weeks. Uh, Twitter's funny like that. As I'm going through my, the different accounts, I don't always see, you know, that I have messages. Same thing with Instagram. So if you don't get me on one platform. You can always hit me up on the at Benfica Mr. Twitter. That's the one that gets checked the most. Uh, so feel free to do that. Of course, check out www.mrbenfica.com. Check out all the other Benfica content out there as well, in, in English especially. But if you speak Portuguese, check out the Portuguese content uh, as always. Um, the guys at Benfica Independent, I... I am blown away with the, the quality of their content, the level of their conversations and the, the depth of their analysis is better than anything that the media is putting on television. And it's not because they're Benfica fans. They could be talking. If the same people were talking about Sporting or Porto and I were not ignorant and I were able to actually listen to them that first time, okay, I would be hooked, okay? It's it's not just because they're talking about Benfica. They actually really do a good job. Uh, give them a shout, okay? And if you have a buck or two, get, get on their Patreon. Uh, you know, support them. They do so much work. They put out so much content. Help support them, okay? It's so important that these voices, these Benfica voices, keep getting amplified. Um, lastly, uh, well, I'm about to hit the road tomorrow, so I will be back Hopefully Saturday or Sunday night, uh, Monday at the latest, but I will recap the weekend's action. Also, shouts, I almost forgot. Uh, Pedro Pichardo, champion once, still champion, adds another crown to his throne, if you will. Uh, wearing three crowns now, world champion, Olympic champion, now European champion in the triple jump. My favorite event in track and field, or in athletics as you call it, outside the United States, the triple jump. Love that event, and I think it's great that our club, Benfica, has the best triple jumper in the world. Uh, the only thing he said after the, the meet, the only thing he's got left now in his career is to go after the world record. He's about 50 centimeters or so away, um, maybe less than that. So he's going to keep working for it, and um, you know I'm going to keep supporting and hoping that he does it. Also, Fernando Pimenta is a champion as well in rowing. He took a gold and a bronze in the European Rowing Championships. He is in the kayak competitions. Um, so big shout to both of those guys as well. And I think that wraps up this episode 141. Thanks for sticking with me uh, this long. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinu. More regular programming is going to start to come out more regularly now for you guys, more consistently. Uh, as this is my last trip for some time. So um, I will be putting out much more consistent content now. Try to keep it to one match, two matches at the most in each episode. 
Um, and I think that's it. Uh, oh, yeah. It, one other thing you guys asked me about. The celebration of, what's his name, Iago of, of Portimones, where he took the corner flag, <laughs> pretended it was a machine gun, and pretended to mow down the Vitoria fans. My thought is there is so much overreaction to that, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. You can disagree. Okay, I... To me, I know it's not a gun. I think everyone knows it's not a gun. It's it's a corner flag. Although I, I did say on Twitter that if they were at the Dragao and he scored on Porto, I would hope he had the good sense to rather than pretend it were a gun, to pretend it were a javelin and actually throw it at Makaku. That would, I would be a fan of that. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for tonight. It's getting late. I've got to be up very early. I got to be up in about four hours to go to work before I go drive a third of the way across this United States, uh, to watch a 90 minute football match on Saturday night. So, uh, thank you again. The Mr. Michael senior here signing off for this one. I'll be back in a couple of days. And, um, this is now the third, third episode of season five here of Mr. Bayfica episode 141 and many more to come. All right. I will see you next time. Kehega Benfica, Forza Benfica. We are Benfica. Remember the official hashtag. If you love football, you love Benfica. Shalana forever. Good night, guys. <laughs>